will be in this morning in uh, kind of a difficult spot, um, simply because the part of Exodus we're going to launch into has so much, so much stuff, uh, and a lot of that is, um, is is technical in its nature. And so the fight this week was: well, I know what the application is. How do how do we synthesize all of that? information and so uh hopefully we will do that in a in a livable way we're going to talk about uh this morning the the tabernacle uh the the tabernacle is uh, a place that god gave as instructions to the um to the children of israel uh to build the tabernacle so that he might he might dwell there when i was a kid and uh, even at various times be high, beyond that, I remember that there would be traveling or itinerant preachers who would go around and have perfect models of the tabernacle, and they'd have perfect models of everything in the tabernacle, and they would tell you what all of those things mean, and everything had a very specific meaning. The problem with that, though it was interesting, is, is that often it veered into, uh, into bad application, but the other problem is, is that as you read and you study, what you realize is that in a lot of senses, we don't know for sure what a lot of the things that happen with the tabernacle do mean. And now, I'll, I'll read to you in, the mo- in a moment uh, from Exodus chapter 25. But again, the tabernacle is, is, the, um, is the place that God is going to command them to build for his dwelling. I'll begin uh, reading in Exodus 25. It actually goes from Exodus 25 into 30, and then it picks up again and repeats the same thing later on in Exodus. We're just going to read uh, a portion of it, but in Exodus Chapter 25, it says this, The Lord spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to take an offering for me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. This is the offering you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, fine linen and goat hair, ramskins dyed red and fine leather, uh, acacia wood, uh, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, uh, and for the fragrant incense and onyx, along with other gemstones for mounting on the ephod and the breastpiece. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I might dwell amongst them. You must make it according to all that I show you, to the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the as the pattern of all its furnishings. They are to make an ark of acacia uh, they are to make an ark of acacia wood, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and, tw- uh, and 27 inches high. Overlay it with pure gold. Overlay it both inside and out. Also make the gold molding around it. Cast four gold rings for it and place them on its four feet. Two rings on one side and two rings on the other side. Make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark in order uh, to carry the ark with them. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They must not be removed from it. Put the tablets of the testimony that I will give you into the ark. Make a mercy seat of pure gold, 45 inches long and 27 inches wide. Make two cherubim of gold. Uh, make them uh, of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim at one end and one cherubim at the other end. 
At its two ends, make the cherubim the one piece of the mercy seat. The cherubim are to have two wings spread out above the covering, the mercy seat with their wings, and are to face each other. The faces of the cherubim should be set towards the, toward the mercy seat. Set the mercy seat on top of the ark and put the tablets of the testimony that I will give you into the ark. I will meet with you there above the mercy seat between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony. testimony. I will speak with you from there about all I've commanded you regarding the Israelites. And then it's going to continue uh, for several chapters more, giving uh, uh, those sort of specific uh, instructions. Those are offerings, the ark, then they're going to give instructions in chapter 26. You are to construct uh, the tabernacle itself with 10 cubits. You must make them finally spun lemon and blue and purple. And it's going to give all of these details, detail after detail after detail of how to build uh, the Ark of the Covenant, and how to place the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle, how the tabernacle would be the, the dwelling place. By the way, the word tabernacle, just so you know, this will become important later, means to dwell. Uh, the tabernacle becomes the dwelling place of, of God. There is lots and lots and lots of instructions in how to build it uh, in, in the passage. We're not going to read it, uh, read it all because it gets very... Uh, very dense, uh, uh, and and the application is unchanged by it. We will say this: is that that God is very specific in how He tells them to to build the tabernacle. All of these instructions that He's going to give here in a couple of chapters. There's going to be a break. Uh, in this story and something else is going to happen and they're going to come back a little while later and he's going to tell them the same instructions on how to build the tabernacle and how the tabernacle should, should be. The issue there and I think the reason we get to that is, is the idea is, is that God himself, this will be his dwelling place and the dwelling place of God, there are, there are certain... Um, there are certain standards, and there's a, there's a demand. God wants his dwelling place to be made in, in a certain way. And so here, there are the instructions. Later on, there's the, there's the definition, but the tabernacle gets built in exactly the way in which it is built. So, um, ha- having said that, let me remind you of this, that in, Genesis, in the book of Genesis, God uh, creates the man and the woman. When he creates the man and the woman, Scripture tells us that he would walk with them in the cool of the day. Because sin had not entered into, into the picture, because man and woman had not yet rebelled against God, God would routinely go and he would, he would spend time with the man and the woman, and his presence was with them. We know then that the man and the woman, Adam and Eve, uh, sin against God, and, and that fellowship is, is broken. When that fellowship is broken, they're driven out of the Garden of Eden. You need to leave. You cannot be in the garden. You can't have my presence in the coolness of the day. In other words, you can't, you can't walk with me. You can't talk with me. You can't see me. I'm not going to be with you in, in the same way. And so he drives them out of, of, of the garden. Uh, he sets angels to, to, to guard the entrance to the garden, and he drives them, them out. The good news of, uh, of Scripture is that even though he drives them out from his presence, God in his goodness is loving caring, and caring towards them and begins to enact a plan to bring them back to, 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 bring, uh, to bring mankind back to himself. And so we've been talking uh, about, about that plan. We've been talking about how God uh, 
God worked. We talked about how God introduces himself to, to Abraham, how he gives to Abraham a covenant. Uh, your offspring will be as many as, as the stars. I will bless all the nations of the earth through you. He gives that to, to Abraham, and we're seeing a progressive, uh, a, a, a progressive story, a progressive timeline, a story being told. But here, uh, in, in this we are getting, getting instructions about the, the, the tabernacle. We're getting, going to get instructions later uh, in, in the passage about what happens in the tabernacle. We're going to get instructions about a place called the Holy of Holies, which is where God's presence dwelt and how, how the, uh, the priests were only allowed to go into there even only once a year to make atonement for, for the people. And so God's plan was to draw people back to himself. The, taber- the tabernacle, uh, figures uh, figures greatly into God's plan to dwell people back to or to draw people back to Himself. Not only because it's His dwelling place, but also it becomes the place where sacrifices happen. And in the sacrifice, in the sacrificial system, is given under the law so that people uh, might go in and that atonement might be made for their sins through uh, through sacrifices. The priests went in and made the sacrifices on their behalf, sacrifices for, for their sins. And so uh, caught up in, in, this, in this, this tabernacle, this idea is this idea that the presence of God dwells there and also that, that atonement, uh, that, that, atonement that, that the priests go and make atonement there. Uh, having, having said that, I, having grown up in church, was taught to think of the tabernacle as a place that excluded people from, from God's presence. What I mean is, is this, is that in the tabernacle you have, you have a courtyard. In the tabernacle you, have, you have, a, have a first room. You have other rooms. But the furthest room in is the Holy of Holies where the ark rests, where, where God's presence is, as it, as it said, his presence is between the cherubim there. That's the most holy place. That is where God dwells. And I was taught to think, and the way I... I grew up thinking is, is that the, this tabernacle is set up so that only a few people or only the, the priests could get near to the presence of, of God, which is, uh, which is true in a sense. But what happened then is I thought of the tabernacle or the dwelling place of God as, as sort of exclusionary of everybody else. And we're taught to think of the tabernacle because we think so highly of the Holy of Holies, we think so highly of the presence of God, which is there. We're taught to think of of the Holy of Holies as exclusionary of all of us who could not go into there. We're taught to think of of the sacrifices that that are made there as, as so serious that, that even the priest can, can only go in once a year and he has to make significant preparation for that. So we're t- taught to think uh, about these things in a way that views the, the tabernacle as, as the place where, yes, the dwelling of God is, but it, it, is, it, it keeps people out. It, it keeps distance between God and, and the people, which is, in a certain sense, Everything that, that, we, that is said there is true, but here's what we, what we need to consider is the nature 
of the progressive revealing of who God is, right? So God reveals himself to Adam and Eve, but after Adam and Eve are kicked out of, out of the garden, there, there is scripture reveals more and more and more of himself, and God has in his, in his wisdom chose to reveal himself in the pages of scripture and in history in a way that continually reveals more and more about who he is and more and about, more about what his plan is to rescue people. And so, yes, he encounters Abraham and makes a covenant with him, yes, he does that. But in the in the coming of the tabernacle, what we get, what what we should get, and what we need to understand is this is not a, re- a revelation or a God showing us uh, that that we have more separation from him, but rather the tabernacle comes, and this is God breaking again into history and saying, "No, I am amongst you. You can come to me." Right, and so we think of it as well only the priest can go in. But before the tabernacle comes, there was n- there, even the priest couldn't go in. There was no provision made. And so what, what happens here is, is that because of brokenness, because of what happens in, in the garden, because of sin, because of separation, we cannot get to God. We cannot draw near to God. We cannot experience the presence of, of, of God. God in his, in his revealing himself, God in saying, build the tabernacle from me and say, no, my dwelling will be amongst you. I'm going to dwell amongst you. And so instead of viewing it in terms of separation, we need to view it in terms of God revealing and God dwelling. God is drawing near to us. So it, it is, it is uh, at, at this point in history, in, in the Exodus point in history, when, God, when the, temple, the tabernacle is built according to these rules, the Ark of the Covenant is built according to the, everything is built exactly right. It is true that there are a lot of rules and regulations and all of these things, but the end point is this, is that the dwelling place of God is, is on earth. And and, and that speaks to something and speaks to a progressive revelation of the character of God or or a continual revealing of the character of God and to this idea that God in in his goodness is not content to, to be a God who rules simply from heaven. He is not content to be a God who rules from simply out there. Remember, uh, remember that in our time, there is this view of God who rules as though he sits uh, simply on a cloud. He rules from out there. He rules from another, another place. He, he's out there. What I'm saying is, is that God, in the way the God of Scripture works, God is not content to rule over his creation from a place out there, but rather he has entered uh, uh, into uh, our story. So, uh, if I if I might use the terms heaven and, and earth to make this point, God is not uh, is not content, uh, despite what we may see uh, in in TV uh, uh, shows or this, to rule simply from heaven, look down and occasionally strike someone dead or occasionally bless someone but rather God wants to is the ruler over heaven and earth and in his presence he he brings that that together and so the tabernacle is is um 
is the story of God's dwelling place coming to earth so that we understand that the God we serve, the God we follow, the God we can know is not a God who, who, is, who, is, who is disconnected. He is not a God who is detached. He is not a God who, 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 who wants nothing to do with us. He is, he is not a God who is just managing everything from his perch on high, but rather he is a God who enters into our history. He enters into our, our space. He enters into our world, and we see that here in the tabernacle. God says, build a tabernacle. When you build the tabernacle, build the ark. When you build the ark, put the ark inside the Holy of Holies. Build it like this, and my presence will dwell there. Right? And so that is, is the idea of the, the tabernacle uh, from, from the Old Testament, uh, from, from Exodus. I think to help us understand a little bit more, I'd like to go to, uh, well, I would just note this. And so transitionally, the idea is, is that God is going to have a tabernacle or a dwelling that is on earth. John 1.14 in the New Testament, it's a verse uh, that, that we know, a lot of us know more, says this, and the word became flesh and it dwelt amongst us. So the word... Jesus, God in the, in the flesh, the second person of the Trinity, the Son in the Trinity becomes enfleshed, and the Word became flesh, and it did what? It dwelt amongst us. As I said earlier, the word dwelt is what word? It's tabernacle. So if you were to read this, uh, read this in, in, uh, in a mixing of our language with the original language, or another way you could say this, it would be this. And the Word became flesh, and it tabernacled, Amongst us. Jesus set up a tabernacle. Again, where was this tabernacle? The tabernacle was amongst us. And we'll talk about that and come back to that in a minute. I want to jump to Hebrews chapter 9. Like I said, we're going to combine a lot of, a lot of scripture into a little time this morning. Hebrews chapter 9. Uh, verse 1 says this, Now, the first covenant also had regulations for ministry and an earthly sanctuary. For the tabernacle was set up, and in the first room, which is called the holy place, where the lampstand, the table, and the present, where the, uh, where the lampstand, the table, and the presentation lows. Behind the second t- curtain was a tent called the most holy place. It had a gold altar of incense in the Ark of the Covenant, covered with gold on all sides, in which there was a gold jar containing the manna. Aaron's staff that budded in the, in the tablets of the covenant. The cherubim of, of glory were above the ark, overshadowing the mercy seat. It is not possible to speak about these things in detail now. So the writer of Hebrews is reflecting my heart on this matter. I agree. We do not have time to speak of those things in detail now. Uh, verse 6, with these things... Prepared like this, the priests enter the first room repeatedly performing their ministry. But the high priest alone enters into the second room. And he does that only once a year and never without blood, which he offers for himself and for the sins of the people committed in ignorance. The Holy Spirit was making clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disposed while the first tabernacle was still standing. This is a symbol for the present time during which gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the worshiper's conscience. They are physical regulations and only deal with food, drink, and various washings and posts until the time of the new order. But Christ has appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come. In the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, 
that is not of this creation. He entered the most holy place once for all time, not by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of the goats and the bulls and the ashes of young cows, sprinkled, uh, uh, sprinkling those who are defiled, sanctify the purification of the flesh... How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse our consciences from the deeds, from the, sorry, from the dead works, so that we can serve the living God, okay? So here's, here's the writer of, of Hebrews, a writer in the New Testament, saying, how do we make sense of what this tabernacle spoke to? Well, how do we make sense of what this tabernacle was? And he's going to, he says, you had that, that most holy place. You could only enter in. You had all of these things prepared like this. The priest entered in, but he said this, verse 8, the Holy Spirit was making clear that the way into the most holy place had not yet been disclosed while the first tabernacle was still standing. So the first tabernacle then in, in, in the time of the writer of Hebrews, in our time, is not standing. What then is the second tabernacle? Well, the second tabernacle is first Jesus. And then, in as much as we are in Jesus, it is us, right? As I said to a couple weeks ago, we receive the promises of Scripture in as much as we are incorporated into the person of Jesus Christ. So what is the second tabernacle? The second tabernacle is Jesus. He is the dwelling place of God. What does he do? Verse uh, uh, John 1.14, and the word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. The, the second tabernacle comes. What does it do? It dwells amongst men and women. Here's the coming of the second tabernacle. The first tabernacle was given so that we might understand and so that they might be prepared for and so that history might tell the story that the first tabernacle was a sign and a shadow of a coming tabernacle. It is a physical prophecy of something that greater was yet to come. It was, it was in the first tabernacle, God says, I am not content that I might be separate from you. I'm not content that I might not dwell amongst you. I am going to enter into to history. I'm going to enter into earth. I am going to bring the domain of heaven which I rule and bring it into the domain of earth by establishing a holy of holies. There's an ark of a covenant in the ark. I dwell there. God has entered into history in, in, in um. In Exodus, we see as though, as though they're a veil separating heaven and earth, and God in the Holy of Holies has begun to poke his finger through, through the veil. I don't know um, what kind of kid you were, uh, uh, but I was... Uh, 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 curious beyond what I should be at times, and I know this, that if I saw a piece of fabric that had a little hole in it, that hole might be too much for me. And if I started with a little hole, what I would end up with is a big hole. I see this again in, in my children. There are, there are times when, I, when, when my sons, especially when they were younger, would come home from school and their shirt would be completely tore out. Like there'd be a rip from here to here to here. And I'd say, what happened to your shirt? Well, there was, there was a little hole. Well, now there's a giant hole. What happened? It, it's, what happens is this, is once 
you get a little hole, the, 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 as you, it becomes irresistible to make the hole bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Here, I make this point simply to say this, is that in Exodus, God's dwelling place, which is in the Holy of Holies, above, above, the, uh, above the Ark of the Covenant, he, he's begun to poke his finger just a little bit through the fabric of the cloth, which separated the Holy of Holies uh, 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 from, from the rest of the world. But in Jesus, in the coming of Jesus, he has not just poked his finger through, but he has continued to rip at and tear it until he has completely shredded the veil and he has burst through it. So that when it says, and the word became flesh and it dwelt amongst it, means this, that the veil that separated, that the hole was poked through in Exodus with the first tabernacle, at the second tabernacle, it is torn apart, it's ripped apart, and the very presence of the living God and the person of Jesus Christ comes rushing through. It means this is that, is that imagine the one who has made the world. Imagine the one who has revealed himself a little bit in Exodus. Now in the person of Jesus Christ has torn the veil and he has entered into humanity. He has entered into our place. The, the God of the universe is walking in the places where we walk. He's talking in the places where we talk. He's entering into our, our moments. He's entering into our experiences. He's entering into our sorrows. He's entering into our joy. The God of the universe has entered into, the, into our existence. The word became flesh and it dwelt amongst us. So then, it's, uh, it's Pentecost Sunday today, which is, which is fitting when you talk about God coming to dwell amongst us, when you talk about what happens at the, at the first tabernacle, which is a beginning of, of the revelation, but when you talk about what happens in the coming of the second tabernacle, the God who dwells amongst us, the one who has torn, torn the curtains, it is fitting then that we would come to Pentecost. Pentecost is, is when the church celebrates that Christ, when he came and he dwelt amongst us and he died uh, for us, when he, uh, when he was put to death, when he was resurrected, when he was about to ascend back to the Father, was not content then to leave us without his presence, but rather he said he was going to send to us the third person of the Trinity. So John chapter 14, verses 16 through 18 says this, Then I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot accept because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he resides with you and will be in you. I will not abandon you as orphans, but I will come to you. At Pentecost, we celebrate this, that, that Jesus, the, the, the resurrected one who has dwelt amongst us, though he is ascending back to the Father, is not content to leave us without his presence and leave us without the dwelling of God amongst us. He is sending his spirit to dwell in us, both inasmuch as we follow him in the individual believer, but especially... In the, in the gathering of believers called the church, that God's presence tabernacles or dwells, the Spirit dwells in his people, the church. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 through 22. So then, you are no longer foreigners and citizens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household, because you have been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the cornerstone. In him, the whole building being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord in whom you are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the spirit. 
Verse 22, I'll just read to you again. In whom you are being built together into a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. So if we go back to, to, to Exodus, when God breaks in to history, when the Holy of Holies is revealed, it says the presence of God is here. The tabernacle is here. You can find God. You can find the dwelling of God here. There's a, there's a place to come. He's not an idea. He's not, uh, he's not a historical. He's none of that. The dwelling place of God is, is, is among you. That, that began to reveal that God wants to be amongst his people. It began to reveal that God wants to be, God is Lord over both heaven and over earth. It began to reveal that God wants to be amongst his people. That, that revelation was made most clear in the person of Jesus Christ. Hebrews says elsewhere that he is the exact imprint of the nature of God. Well, the exact imprint of the nature of God became flesh. He became human and he dwelt amongst us. He was human like you're human. He was human like I'm human. He died like you will die. He was resurrected like if you are in him, you will be resurrected because he was the first fruit. He has made it so that we might be able to come to God. But the dwelling place, the second tabernacle comes in the person of uh, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ dwells. Uh, amongst us, in as much as, as, he, as he dwells uh, amongst us, uh, we know then that when, when you needed help, when you needed hope, you know where to turn. You can turn to Jesus. You know that he, because he has experienced what you've experienced, because he's been through what you've been through, because he has made himself like you in the flesh to rescue you from your flesh, you know that because of the dwelling place of God, you can go to God. Now then, then Jesus, inasmuch as we are in him, he's the dwelling place of God. He tabernacles amongst us. Inasmuch as we are in him, we become then the dwelling place of God. Verse 22, in whom you are being built together in the dwelling place of God in the Spirit. It's Pentecost. We celebrate the coming of the Holy Spirit upon the, the church at Pentecost. It is appropriate for us to, to note then that when God tabernacles amongst us, he tabernacles in the form of the Holy Spirit in you in, as much as you are rescued by him in faith, but also in us as a body of believers that the church becomes the dwelling place of God on earth. And so in as much as in Exodus, they knew that when they needed to make sacrifices or draw near to God, they went to the tabernacle. In as much as the disciples knew that when they were struggling, they went to the person of Jesus. In as much as we in faith know that when we go in prayer, when we struggle, right? When we struggle, we most intuitively go to prayer to, to Jesus. In as much as that is true, we as the dwelling place, the church as the dwelling place of God, get to now be the representation of God on earth to those who do not yet know him. So that if, if you're following this is that God reveals himself and dwells amongst us. And where the dwelling of God is, there is salvation. Where the dwelling of God is, there is peace. Where the dwelling of God is, you can come and meet God. If we then are in the spirit of being built together into the dwelling place of God in the spirit, it gives to the church a mission it gives to the church a purpose. It gives to the church something that we can do and say, yes, if God dwells in, in me, I will, I, will, 
I will follow and walk with God as, as his dwelling place in a way so that when the world looks for something, when the world looks for something that, that is more meaningful, when the world looks for something that is more powerful, when the world looks for something that, that will rescue them from brokenness, those who are apart from Christ, they should be able to see in the church the dwelling place of God and know if I want to draw close to God, I can draw close to those people and they'll probably tell me about the hope that is in them. And so that, that becomes our, our hope in, in this, this time. We have taken a lot of verses, squished them together very quickly. But at the end of the day, what I want us to remember is this, is that Jesus Christ has bounded through the veil that separated the dwelling place of God from the average person. He, if Exodus was the poking through, Jesus bounded through, and when he burst through, he shredded the wall that separated you from him and you from the Father, so that in as much as you know Jesus, you can be brought into friendship, you can be brought into relationship, you can be brought into the very presence of the living God. That's why also in Hebrews it says later on, therefore let us boldly approach the throne of grace. Right? We can only do that because we, we, we already have in Christ been, been brought near to God. They could not, uh, they, <laughs> the presence of God, the very presence of God in the Old Testament uh, uh, destroyed people. And by destroyed people, I mean that killed them. And later on, we'll talk about what happens with the Ark of the Covenant. And someone touches the Ark, which symbolizes the presence of God, and they're killed by it. But in Jesus Christ, he has shredded that veil so that you may not only approach Jesus, but through Jesus, you might approach the very throne of grace, the, the, the very, the very, uh, the very place where God rules and reigns and from where your salvation emanates, you get to draw near to God. And so, so this morning uh, is simply a reminder that God built a tabernacle in history because he intended to break in fully to human history. Because he intended in John, as John 1, 4, or 1.14 says, to become flesh and dwell amongst us. He intended to, uh, to rescue us through the cross he intended to, intended to, to, to take away our, our sins. He intended to overcome death. And he intended to send the Holy Spirit to dwell and to build us into the dwelling place of God so that the church is the tabernacling of God in, in, in our time, that, that, that Christ and his Spirit are in us. In you, yes, in, if you know him, but, but even greater still, in all of us who are followers of Jesus, the very Spirit of God tabernacles so that when hope is needed, when rescue is desired, when, when, when sorrow is experienced, when all of those things, when the people look around and go, is there any hope in this world? The church of Jesus Christ can be the tabernacle that people look to and say, those people, they seem to have hope. Those people, they seem to have joy. Those people, they seem to have struggle, but they can make it through. Those people, we get to be the dwelling place of God. May we not keep that bottled. May we not keep that in, but may it drive us to, 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 to express 
to proclaim, to demonstrate, to at every point make clear to those who do not yet know him that Christ dwells here and he dwells amongst us. And he is the hope not just for us, but he is the hope for the world and he's the hope for them too. Pray with me. Uh, Jesus, thank you for loving us so much. Thank you for dwelling amongst us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you that you've, 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 you've torn through the veil that separates us from you so that we might become your dwelling place, that you might tabernacle amongst us. Lord God, let us be like your word says, a city on a hill. May we be a clear demonstration to those around us that the spirit of the living God dwells here so that they might know hope, so that they might know meaning and they might know salvation, that they might come to you and be transformed and changed. Lord God, may we acutely feel in every moment where, where uh, every moment your presence. May we realize that, that, that through your cross and through your blood, the separation between us and you has been torn down so that we might come directly to your throne, so that we might know you, so that we might have our sins forgiven by you, so that we might be cleansed, so that we might be purified, so that we might become more like you. Do great things in us because of your presence. Thank you for dwelling amongst us. In your name, amen.